Amen. We are grateful to the Lord um, for his presence. We're grateful to the Lord for his goodness. Um, such an incredible time we have already had in worship. Um, just to remember, um, because of Jesus, you know, ultimately anything that, that we go through is small, is insignificant because of the, great, the greatness of his sacrifice. And we are thankful for him because of what he has done. We can say, you know, bye-bye to every sorrow and pain that we've had because all of those are made well through the uh, salvation of, of our souls in Jesus Christ. And um, there's a be- no better time than to remember that everything else that looks important, every other name that seems to be significant in our lives fades away and crumbles at the name of Jesus Christ. So truly we are grateful to the Lord for his goodness and his presence this Palm Sunday. Um, just grateful to be here. So we have been, as you know, um, working through the book of 1 Samuel, and we'll continue today, and then we'll pause next week because we'll be with Harvest at 11 a.m. Um, to have a joint service with them, joint Easter service. So, But we're still working through um, the book of 1 Samuel. And you notice there's been this reoccurring theme concerning God speaking and God having spoken and him speaking directly to Samuel and, and some of the things that he had said, and last week we talked about the voice of God, what it means to understand what the voice of God is and understand that the voice of God is in case permanently for us for all eternity in the word of God. If you clearly want to hear God speak, you must open and read the word of God. But we also want to talk about what the, significant is, the significance is when we don't listen to the word of God, when we actually ignore the voice of God and the impact that it has on our lives. So we're pulling back up in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Um, we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. What does it mean when we ignore the voice of God? So 1 Samuel chapter 3, right in verse 11, it reads, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish him to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by any by sacrifice or offering forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you that you have spoken to us for all of eternity through your written word of God. And Lord, help us refer back to this as much as we need, knowing that everything that we need, if we want to know who you are, we must look to the word. So God, as we read today, help us see this as a warning about the importance of listening to you and reading your word, but also the effects of when we may ignore what you have spoken concerning our lives. Help us hear you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week I did want to try to make clear that I was making an effort to establish clearly how and when God speaks and It was my purpose to make it clear that God most clearly speaks to us 
through his word. The thing, however, is that we see God speaking in direct and emphatic ways in our text that we just can't ignore. We can't ignore the fact that God is speaking directly to Samuel here. Now, when God does speak to Samuel, he tells him of the judgment that was in fact coming to Eli and his sons and his generation. But this obviously isn't about Samuel. Samuel was not the one here who ignored the word of God. In fact, even though he did not know God at the time, he is actually the person here who heard and received the word that God has spoken. So who here actually ignored the word? Well, I think it's clear. It's what we've seen over the past few weeks. It was Eli and his sons. What I want for us to see today from this text is that ignoring the law of God is ignoring the voice of God. It is ignoring the word of God. And ignoring the word and ignoring the voice of God comes at a hefty price. I want to look at this in an overall biblically centered way so that we will feel impressed to heed God's word. Now, this past um, Monday, I was having a conversation with someone who had gone to the beach for spring break at work, and I actually pointed out to him, I was like, oh, I see you've got a pretty nice tan there. And so he started to tell me about his son. Now, this gentleman is white, and his son is actually pretty pale. His mother is a redhead, and so is he. And so he told him, he was like, hey, I'm putting on all this sunscreen. He says, you need to go ahead and put some on as well. And his son said, no, I think I'll be fine. And he said, listen, buddy, you are bright white. If you don't screen it up, then you're probably going to get sunburned. And he kept replying to his dad, oh, no, I I think I'll be fine. Now, after about four attempts or so, he said, all right, fine. Do whatever you want to do. And as you can imagine, after being on the beach for hours without sunscreen, he described his son as being as red as a tomato. Skin scorched and in complete pain, he knew then that he should have listened to his father. When we read the word of God and when we look at the law of God, the biggest mistake that many people make who are believers is that we think that the Bible is just a set of laws that is telling us what to do, that is telling us what not to do. But all the things that we are told not to do, we have to be honest, we desire to do. So it feels like God is actually trying to keep us from just enjoying ourselves. The sons of Eli here were born into a priestly family, and that meant that there were even greater restrictions for them growing up and living. Inevitably, though, however, they were held accountable to the same law of God that we are held accountable. For them, the law of God was stated in the Ten Commandments, the first being that you should not have any other gods before me. Now, we have to deal with this commandment. We have to wrestle with this commandment, don't we? Now, when we think about the first commandment, the commandment that says that you should not have any other gods before me, there are one or two things happening here. 
Either God is a narcissist who craves worship from his people to feed his ego, or God knows that the love he pours out on us, according to our obedience, will so richly fulfill and satisfy us more than anything in this world. Yeah, it's, it's that one. It's the second one. We have no knowledge of the impact that it has on our lives when we try to supplant God with other things in our lives. But you see, he does know. God absolutely knows what will happen in our lives when we try to make things that are not God idols in our lives. And so God gives us this instruction. His voice to us is a means to protect us. And he expects us to listen, but we don't. So we find ourselves dialed into as many different possible sins because they are all a subsidiary of idolatry. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, the word of the Lord came straight to Adam from the mouth of God. That word was that they were to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, as they may have perceived it, though they were wrong, this is not to keep them in a lower rank to God, but rather it was to protect them from the danger of having the knowledge of good and evil like God. But you see, their problem is our problem. That just wasn't good enough for them. They wanted more. They wanted what they idolized, which was the power of God, and they thought that having the knowledge would make them like him. He warned them not to, and he even gave them the consequence. Now, we may all retroactively look back at Adam and Eve with anger and think, why would you so callously ignore the word of God from the mouth of God? Every single one of us thinks, if put in that position, no, if I heard the Lord speak to me directly, I wouldn't just ignore his word like this. But but you see, this is the issue. Every single one of us has, in fact, heard straight from the mouth of God. But because our great sin condition always makes us think that we know better. Proverbs says that there is a way to all of us that appears right, but that the end is actually death. Now, why does it seem right to us? It's not because it seems right to God, but it's because it seems right for us. Not only that, it even feels good to us. And people tend to go with what actually feels good. But see, the problem is, is that what feels good is often what feels right. God gives us commandments and parameters to warn us that we will absolutely flounder without him. When Adam and Eve ignored God's word, the consequences were monumental. Some they saw immediately, and some they would not see until later. What were the immediate effects? First, they were separated from God. Adam was subjected to work. Eve was relegated to painful childbirth. 
and there was enmity put between the husband and the wife. For us, sin was introduced to the world, and it cemented our need for a Savior. Now, this all happened because they ignored the voice of God. But see, sin doesn't just impact us directly, but it also impacts those around us as well. I remember when I was a kid, there were these different times where my mother would say, no, you can't do that, or no, you can't go there, or no, you can't know this. And sometimes, very, very rarely, I would say the one thing you never say to a parent, why? And after regaining consciousness, she would then say something like, wait until you're older, or I'll tell you when you can understand. And I remember I would always get frustrated when she would say that because I felt like that was a cop-out. I felt like, well, you don't mean that. You're not actually going to wait till I get older and then tell me something. You're hoping I forget because you don't want to have to explain yourself. But I will say this, that now that I'm a parent, there are many things that I know about that my kids may ask questions about that they may not be prepared to hear or handle or understand. And so as a means of protecting them, I say, maybe when you're older, not right now, this isn't the right time. And my expectation is that I'm your father, you should trust what I say. When we read in the word of God, that we should not covet, that we should not lust or lie or murder or fornicate. That is not because he is keeping us from something, but that's actually because he's protecting us from something. We feel like he's imprisoning us, but if you ever go to a fish in a bowl and say, you should be free and break the bowl, you will realize that what you thought was a prison was actually protection. This is what happens to us when we break God's law. We are not released from prison. We are released from God's protection. And unfortunately, most of us do not realize the significance of this until afterwards. There's something that happens in the book of Joshua. I want to go there very briefly. In Joshua chapter 7 and verse 10. Something very interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen this in there before. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, 
And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all he has. Because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Now, to give you some context, the Israelites had been told directly by God, when you win this victory, you are to touch nothing. You are not to take anything. Do not take spoils of war. He warns them that if they do that, that he would bring judgment, not just on that person in particular, but all the people. And he did. When they went to fight the battle in Ai, and they were defeated, there were lives that were lost. And at the center of that defeat, at the center of these lives that were lost, was one man named Achan. And he had defied the word of God. But why does God put those parameters in place in the first place? It is a common thing for people when they win a battle to take spoils for themselves. I think it's two reasons why he does this. The first one is that the Israelites were not to behave like the pagans. To ransack an area like Achan had done was to behave like the people who were pursuing other gods. But it was also to say that God's provision in this victory wasn't enough. And it implies that this victory was their own and it wasn't their own. They had won that victory because of God. So who were they to take any spoils of war when they were not the ones who had caused the victory in the first place? God's plan here, though, is so much more than frivolous goods. Through these victories that they were going to have, he was charting the course of history to eventually bring the Messiah through his people. And that's serious business. But you have someone here who is more concerned with themselves than the word and the plans of God. See, he didn't only ignore God's direct instruction, but he broke God's commandment. Do not covet. But in breaking that, he'd also place a God above the God. So much so that he was willing to risk his life in the life of others, just for the spoils of war. The second thing is that the Israelites were to trust God as their rightful supplier. To steal or even to covet in this way was to say that they did not trust God to provide good things to them or be good for them. They've been through a lot, and what God consistently tried to get them to see, as he does with us, is that he is sufficient for us. But we make idols out of everything, y'all. With Eli, he made idols out of his children. He did that so much that he ignored what God required of them and of him. They idolized pleasure so much so that they were willing to disregard God and the consequences of it, even though it would mean death for them. That may seem extreme to them, but so many of us are always so driven by our own pleasures. I mean, you think about it. 
Many of us, even now, we know we're probably not eating the things that we should eat. We're probably not exercising the way that we should exercise. And we've been told by our doctor, hey, you should not do this. Oh, yeah, I know, doctor. I'll do better next time. And yet we continue on and on to do what we want, to eat what tastes good, to do what feels good. But then we go and we find out, you know, as a result of years of ignoring doctor's instruction, there's a dramatic health consequence that's coming to us. And we may say, okay, now is the time that I want to do all these things. But unfortunately, the effect of years of eating poorly has probably already done its damage. There are many times that we as Christians are going to ignore the law of God and ignore the word of God to inconsistently be obedient And maybe there is something dramatic that happens as a result of our sins. And we say, now, God, is the time where I absolutely want to heed your voice. But unfortunately, maybe the damage of sin has already been done in our lives. This is what Paul had to say, because I want you to know, listen, you're not alone in this boat. I'm in that boat with you. Paul was in that same boat. He tells us in in Romans 7 and 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, (laughs) for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul himself writes that within him, there was a conflict of desire. On the one hand, he desired and wanted to be obedient to God. But on the other hand, there is the desire to do what he desires to do. But he says something interesting. He says, but when I do what I want to do, I am held captive to my sin. He says, it's not that I'm freeing myself when I do what I want to do. I'm actually placing bars of sin around me because now I'm not even doing what I want to do. I'm doing what sin has for me to do. Every single one of us in this room is experiencing that exact same conflict. And if you're not, you're either completely doing whatever you want to do or you're lying. 
I have the desire to do what is right, to obey God's law, to listen to his voice, to read his word. But even I do not have the power within myself to will rightness in my life. The caveat, however, for believers is that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do what is right. But we must, as I said last week, be led by the Spirit. The problem, however, occurs when we start to justify why we think this thing is the right thing or that thing is wrong. One of the issues that comes up a lot in our school, and it's probably going to come up, you know, a lot more as kids get older, is that, you know, lots of our kids are dealing with issues with gender and sexuality. And they will almost always say to me, you know, I don't see a problem with the same sex being together. And, you know, I always like, yeah, you might not, but God does. But I always tell them, you know, it's probably because you and I don't really see the effects of sin in that way. And so I always ask them, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, like sex outside of marriage. Let's have a conversation about that. And so I'll start like this. I say, because we don't understand the effects of sin, I'll ask them, you know, let's all raise our hands. And then I say, now, how many of you believe people should live together before they get married? And then I'll say, okay, is it okay to have sex? before marriage and a few hands sometimes go down I'm like all right so you think folks gonna live together but they're not gonna be having sex while they're living together all right whatever all right majority of them still stay up though they think okay it's fine for people to engage in sex and live together before marriage and then I'll ask of everyone in there okay how many of you have parents who are married if you do put your hands down not many hands go down. I say, okay, put your hands down if your parents aren't together but are on good terms. Again, not many hands actually go down. A few do, but not many. Then I say, put your hands down if your parents are both involved but they don't like each other. More go down. Then I say, Put your hands down if you are being raised by one parent or by someone who is not your mom or your dad. And finally, every hand goes down. Then I tell them, this is why God doesn't want us to have sex outside of the context of marriage. Because it causes the breakdown of his family. This is why God gives us strict parameters about what we should look for in a husband or a wife. Because making the wrong choice based on what we feel and what we desire has tremendous consequences. And I may not even be the one who feels the impact of it the most. The emotional trauma it causes people and the brokenness that children have to endure as a result of us breaking God's law. I said, do you think that we can think of that in the heat of one moment of sinful passion? Of course not. And God knows that. 
So he has given us his law and the parameters for us to live because he knows that I know what is right, but I don't always have the desire to do what is right. And so he gives us the parameters of his law to help us escape unnecessary pain and suffering. Ignoring what God says has consequences. So how do we avoid becoming deaf to God's word? It's simple. Proverbs tells us how. In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it says that we should acknowledge him in all our ways and he will direct our path. Why is that important, though? Because in Proverbs, it also tells us that there is a way, and it's a way that seems right to man, but the end of that way leads to death and destruction. So this is the thing. I don't judge what is right in my life based on how I feel about it. There are lots of things that I read in the Bible and I look at what God has done. I look at what God has said. I don't feel good about it. But I don't judge truth based on what I feel. I, even in my own life, judge truth not based on what I feel about it, but based on what God has said about it. And so when it tells me that the only way that I know that the decisions I'm making are in line and in step with the will and word and voice of God, is that every decision I make, I must filter through him first. I must acknowledge that he is God and that, God, I don't have the strength within myself to discern right from wrong, but you do. If these things here were written for our learning, then we can look back at what happens when we ignore the voice and the word of God. And we can understand the, the dramatic consequences that can come as a result of our ignoring him. We should also, though, look at our lives and look in the past, look at the mistakes that we've made, look at the sins that we've been prone to, and learn from them and grow from them and be sanctified through that. But finally... We know that this life will have suffering. We know that there will be trials and tribulations. I don't want, because of my ignoring God's word, to add one element of suffering, one trial, any tribulation that didn't have to be on my course because I was being rebellious against what God has spoken. And so if you want to know, okay, how can I make sure the decisions I make are right, that I'm not ignoring God? As I said last week, I'm saying this week, what has God said in his word regarding it? That's it. If you want to know the voice of God, you must read the word of God. And if you want to make sure you're not ignoring the voice of God, you need to make sure you're opening the word of God. Let's pray.